you know, if we're doing catch-up posts now, maybe I should make you talk about Yona again with me, since I know you and Dana have been keeping up with that. Yeah, I just finished all of those. But yeah, now you guys can... Dana was messaging me the other day, like, being like, I don't know how to feel about Suwon. <laughs> like, I don't. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that, that, that is the feeling. <laughs> Welcome back to Manga New Ears. My name is Corey. Uh, Helen and April are with me. Hi. And for the first time uh, that I remember, we are revisiting an old series. Uh, we are talking about Fruits Basket for our old for our old series. Um, revisiting our uh, our old series from episode two, and we will be talking about uh, the entire manga from uh, from beginning to end. Spoilers. Spoilers abound, so if you have not read all of the manga, uh, probably don't listen to the segment. And for the back half, we'll be talking about Drifting Dragons. The uh, Is it in print? It just got a print announcement, but currently it's still in digital. Kodansha hasn't actually printed the volumes yet. The uh, announced print, print manga by Kodansha. But for the first half, we will be talking about Fruits Basket, uh, which uh, just got a new anime. And it was recently republished by Yen Press. They finished that um, at some point last year. But uh, let's just go around the table. Helen, you and I had already read all of it when we talked about it last time, correct? But we hadn't, like, or you hadn't revisited it for a while since then, right? Yeah, I still haven't. I still haven't even read the new Yen Press translations. I'm still working off of in my mind, the old Tokyo Pop translations or some old Scanlation ones because, you know, High School <laughs> Helen was impatient and found a way to read ahead online. With the new anime coming out, I'm surprised at how many people are saying, oh, yeah, I've never read the manga or seen the first anime, but that was a pretty good episode. It's like, wait, how did you just, like, I feel like I need to shame y'all for not having, like, either tried out the first anime or tried out the manga before, since it was such a juggernaut here. Like, it's like, were you living under a rock? Like, what is your excuse? Yeah. And people are all like, oh, it's pretty good. And it's like, that's what we've been saying for like 20 almost 20 years, years now. <laughs> like, we have all been saying this. And so I guess we do need to give this half of the episode a spoiler warning because apparently some of y'all don't know what goes down or at least don't know what goes down beyond where the first anime ended. Yep. The answer is sadness. Sadness is what goes down. <laughs> uh, yeah, so much sadness. Um, April, you had not read the the whole manga when we talked last time, correct? No, so I guess I was under a rock. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast. April, how could you? <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is what uh, uh, got me started reading this series. I think it's one that I just missed because it 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 sort of came out. Uh, Around the same time as Sailor Moon, uh, Cardcaptor Sakura, Peach Girl. So I was definitely reading all the Tokyo Pop series at the time because at least in the beginning it wasn't hard to collect them all. But I just completely bypassed Fruits Baskets totally, and uh, it's a it's a ride. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a ride. We've definitely talked before about how like some late 90s, early 2000s shoujo just go for like some really melodramatic twists. And this one is just 
drama and melodrama the entire way through. It is a oh, character yeah. story and like everybody has terrible parents basically. Except for Rue. But her parents are dead. Her <laughs> life is still terrible. Now. That's the only way they're not terrible is because they're dead. <laughs> well, to be fair, even before that, they seemed like good parents. <laughs> True, that's fair. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Toru's mom was a literal delinquent, but yeah, it is unquestionably the best parent in this series. <laughs> By far. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, to recap, uh, uh, recap, you can either listen to episode two or you can listen to this spiel that I'm about to do for like three minutes, maybe less than that. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Fruits Basket is about this girl named Toru. Uh, her mom has died a couple months prior to the beginning of the series, and she has moved in uh, to a tent on Zoma Family Grounds. Uh, Shigure, the, the uh, patriarch of this particular house, uh, finds it hilarious that she is living in a tank, but ends up inviting her to <laughs> live in the, in the house with her. Uh, and basically, from that point, insanity ensues. Uh, another, another boy is already living there, Yuki, who is Toru's classmate, and then another boy falls through the roof, literally. Uh, Kyo, who is soon to become Toru's classmate, and potential love interests, uh, and also whenever someone of the opposite sex hugs them, they turn into an animal of the Zodiac, which is to include the infamous cat who was swingled by the rat out of being in the Zodiac, according to the story. In Fruits Basket, um, there are several moments throughout Fruits Basket that's kind of, like, destroyed my heart from the inside, uh, <laughs> including uh, things like... Uh, Momiji's story early on in uh, in the second Ian Press volume, and I believe Kisa's story is also around that that same area, which are both uh, key moments in the anime that just kind of really endeared me to the series as a whole. It's like you don't have to feel emotions by punching someone else in the face like Naruto. Uh, you can feel emotions <laughs> by like real. Uh, not this is like a metaphorical punch to the face, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, and that's, uh, like, Freak's Basket is really what got me into, uh, more genres of anime as a whole. Like, I was, I was pretty much watching Yakusho, Naruto, stuff like that, uh, up until this point, but Freak's Basket was something more and something that, uh, I particularly enjoyed as someone who just likes human drama. Um, like so Fruits Basket turned you into the man of culture you are today? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> someone who watches sports anime and sports and like that Uh, what would you two think of? A freak's basket now that or as you write it and finish it what do you think uh so i think for me i sort of liked the darker parts of fruits baskets i'm not much of a at least in manga anyway i'm not much of a comedy person so i sort of liked <laughs> i sort of like the the tragic backstories and all of that i i I think if it had just been like a straight rom-com, I wouldn't have been as into it. But everybody's story is so, like, sad. And everybody's parents suck real bad. Um, and it's just, it's uh, throughout the entire series. But I had uh, I'd read a review of the series somewhere that it's really about kindness. Um, and I think that's a large takeaway from it, too, is it's really about just people being kind to each other. Toru, especially, I think, sort of represents that. Uh, but yeah, uh, Corey mentioned like Momoji's story. That one was sad. That that was like, oh wow. Like he's split apart from his mother, and she doesn't know that she's his mother anymore. I'm like, oh man, that's brutal. So, and and there's a lot of that uh, throughout the series. 
yeah, explanatory comma in case someone has decided to come into the series totally <laughs> blind and is listening to our podcast. Well done. Uh, the whole can't be held by anyone of the opposite sex. It even extends to um, the character's close family members who aren't members of the Zodiac. So Momiji's mother just sort of lost her mind when she was holding her newborn and it turned into a baby bunny. <laughs> I mean, it was more than one specific incident, but it means <laughs> yeah. that everyone is very touch starved in some ways. You have Yuki's family who are rather proud that both he and his older brother are in the Zodiac and they see that as a sign of prestige that leaves Yuki feeling like they view him as an object, not a person. Especially, you got Kyo. Especially Yuki as the rat, the first in the Zodiac, who is seen as a particularly prestigious position within the Zodiac. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have Kyo, who's ostracized for being the reincarnation of like the interloper into the Zodiac and Kyo will turn into a cat, you know, when he's accidentally hugged by Toru in the new anime, it's adorable. He has toe beans, but he also, turns <laughs> into this, he does. It's great. He also turns into this far more monstrous form as well. If um, some special beads hold it off, you know, there's a very dark undercurrent there, which I don't know if it fit really well in high school, because in high school, it seemed like all of my friends had really bad parents as well, or just very unprepared parents. I seemed to be the only one in the bunch who had, like, good parents. So maybe I just sort of internalized that, and I was like, oh, okay, this is normal. Maybe. But yeah, I was actually listening to another podcast um, the other day, and they were talking about the new anime, and how people were like, and how the folks on this podcast weren't enjoying it as much, because they didn't like how a lot of the comedy had been cut. Since in the first anime, there was a lot of comedy in there, and this is a series with comedy and depressing bits right next to each other. But they added more in at the expense of taking out some of those more deliberative moments. And this actually went so far as I've been told that, like, the anime adaptation probably influenced the English translators of the manga. So everyone's view of the series has been a little skewed. So it's going to be interesting to see folks reading the end press versions or seeing um, the new anime. But I was just so mad when I was listening. People were like, oh, there's not as much comedy in there anymore. And I'm like, that was always the point. It was never supposed to be that much comedy. It was supposed to accentuate the depressing parts more. Uh. It has funny parts, but in some ways they're like situational funny, like, oh, ha ha, Toru accidentally turned Kyo into a cat again. And not, you know, oh, right. Kyo's entire family is ostracized because he turns into a cat. Right. When I think, uh, the com- the comedic parts make the depressing parts even more sad. Like, I feel like the comedic parts carry more weight when you realize how uh, ostracized all the characters have been. So the comedic parts where they're kind of hanging around each other and just enjoying each other and having fun. You're like, coping mechanisms. Right. Ex- exactly. That's a, I mean, that's a good way to put it, though, is that this is like the first time that these this group of people has probably had somebody that they can just have fun with and that just accepts them as they are. So, um, but yeah, they're definitely, uh, chapters right next to each other. Well, one will be very funny. And then the next one is, uh, very depressing. So, yeah. And you do have characters who occasionally have found out the Soma's curse in the past, but their memories have been erased since one of the members has that ability. Like I was thinking of, um, shoot the dragon of the Zodiac. He originally, Hattori. Yeah. Originally, at one point, he had a fiance, and she was actually okay. She handled remarkably well when her love interest turned into a seahorse on a bench. She handled that pretty well. <laughs> but it was the rest of the toxicity in the Soma family that got to her. Just, 
Akito, the head of the family in particular, is just someone who's been through a lot of their own crap and turned out to be a very nasty person as a result of it. So that's what was driving her crazy. And so eventually Hattori just erased her memories to sort of set her free. And this is why Yuki is living outside of the main Soma family compound and away from his parents with Shiguri at the start. He just couldn't stand it anymore, needed to get away. But, you know, he's like a first year in high school. There wasn't too far he could go. So this was his step. He'd not have the uh, the gall to move into a tent. You know, they keep praising Toru for having the gumption to move into a tent, but you know, that's it's just not exactly the most common sense solution there. So uh, yeah, that was that was always uh, uh, something that was I think used more as comedy than yeah uh, as something smart too. Well, even those little moments, it's um. That dual comedy and tragedy, you know, Toru, it's kind of funny. She's doing this. But the reason is, is that she's living with um, she's been living with her paternal grandfather and her father's been dead for quite a few years at this point. And he's um, having to renovate his house since more relatives are going to move in. And so she doesn't want to put a burden on them by living with them. And she doesn't want to put a burden on either of her friends and they all have crowded families as well. So instead of being able to reach out, you know, Toru's just like, no, I'm going to do this myself instead, and buys a tent. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let's let's roll back to Akito, who Akito, Akito, the cub says Akito, so like I default to that as the first thing that I watch for Fruits Basket. Uh, but let's roll back to Akito. Um, they have uh, quite the checkered past. They're the head of the Soma family. They're <laughs> they are the uh, the so-called uh, god of the zodiac. Which is what they've been reincarnated as. The Zodiac uh, members have like a, an instinctual inclination to listen to whatever they say to you. And we we say they because uh, they were raised as a male, but they were biologically female. Um, and it seems like by the end of the series that they do identify as a woman, since we yes. see them and some female clothing, and they do have a child, I'm pretty sure, with Shigure mm-hmm. um, in Fruits Basket and Other. Yep. Because uh, the entire point of Fruits Basket and Other is that the characters had happy lives after all. They all made babies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I believe that their kid has shown up in Fruits Basket and Other. Um, oh, yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. Yeah. Their main character in the second volume. Yeah. Um, but until then, uh, Akito is just kind of like a jerk that controls the Soma family. Uh, he, they took away, not took away, but they like attacked uh, Hattori, causing his eyesight to uh, be basically non-functional in one of his eyes, which is what eventually led to his former fiance w- wanting the memory wipe. And also, he they uh, put like a ridiculous amount of psychological burden on both Yuki. And Rin, the horse of the Zodiac, uh, just like confining them to rooms, just because he they view them as uh, as playthings, I guess. Um, yeah, Rin was definitely physically abused as well. Mm-hmm. There's an isolation room that numerous characters end up in over the course of the series, and they they have like some sort of like emotional codependent relationship with Kurino, the rooster of the Zodiac which takes on another meaning once you realize that they've actually lost their curse, like the curse is weakening. Mm-hmm. And so I think in some ways it was also Akito's way of trying to keep everything together 
um, even as they can see that the curse is breaking. Even before Toru is like, I'm going to break this curse. I'm going to give everybody the opportunity to have happy lives. Yeah, I'm like uh, 24 hours out from the Akito storyline, and that was a hell of a storyline. It just it that's that that doesn't get revealed close to the end, and it just mm-hmm. there's a for at least the way this the series started out, there's a lot of uh, psychological abuse in this series, and it it it's it's through like generations of the family. It seems like everybody is sort of suffering from how their parents treated them. And then it seems like Akito like maybe can't, I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure out what the larger lesson was with that character in, in the sense that like they, they couldn't let go of any kind of relationship or they couldn't let things change. Um, they didn't want people to leave them or for people to die. And it's like, they just couldn't accept how life is or was. So they sort of have this bond with all the other people of the Zodiac and they, they just won't let him go. I mean, I feel like that's the basis of the story really is this, this, this bond, not wanting things to change at all. And they just can't let it go at all. That was like a real, for me, that wasn't really, that was a twist at the end. (laughs) Yeah. Which is probably why the new anime starts out their very first scene being, you know, the God of the Zodiac. Um, I don't know if there's, what god they are but the god the the god here you know creating this curse in a way to bind everybody together the series Mm -hmm. is very much about how relationships are good and relationships are bad Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they can Mm -hmm. be both Mm -hmm. at the same time yep uh gosh um (laughs) where do you even continue uh like shigure seems to like be playing uh with everybody along this entire (laughs) storyline Yeah, Shigure, you have to read, like, the Yen Press translation or anything, but he's much more of an asshole than, <laughs> than he comes off in the original anime. The original anime just goes to be like, oh, philandering, funny, and here it's like, no, you're a goddamn bitch. <laughs> I mean, he's a male dog, not a female dog, but... <laughs> Yeah, when we, I think when we originally did the podcast, when we first talked about this, I was only like two volumes deep, which I guess would be the equivalent of like four. Uh, I don't think I really knew what I was in for. You all told me that it gets sad, but I, I got further into my, wow, I really wasn't, wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but that's the fun of it, really. And I think that makes it so interesting that this is literally a manga series which helped launch an entire generation of manga fans in the U.S. Like, this was my first manga, basically, because I'd started hearing about it, and then I found one of my new friends in high school had it, yada, yada, yada. So I feel like that's kind of interesting as well, that the series that goes from funny to really dark and serious is, like, such a foundational part of, like, American manga history in some ways. Mm-hmm. Also, anyone who's like, oh, shoujo is for babies or like you know <laughs> boring and everything it's like no son let, let me sit you down <laughs> let me sit you down and inflict like some psychological trauma on you <laughs> <laughs> yeah april how quickly did you read the whole series please don't tell me you binged it i don't know if you'd be okay i did <laughs> oh no are you okay <laughs> i i finished when did i start i feel like i started this time <laughs> Because I restarted it, I think. I think I started, like, this time last week, or maybe the beginning of last week. I I was determined to finish it for the podcast, so I did. It was a lot. <laughs> but the a, the Yen Press volumes are really nice. The Tokyo Pop ones, 
float around a lot. I see them at a lot of used bookstores or the library. You can find those volumes anywhere. Um, but the yen press ones are nice and have the color pages and all of that. So they are, they are pretty nice. Although the yen press volumes cut the what do you call those things? The author sidebars, and they they make a note of that in one of the omnibuses that the, the newer mm-hmm. the newer collections that's cut out. Um, so that is a little bit different, but uh, those all volumes- she was saying in those sidebars originally were what game she was playing on the PS2, basically. <laughs> yeah, I believe uh, <laughs> she mentioned in that my first volume or whatever that they took all the sidebars out just because uh, <laughs> she was just like random dated ramblings did not serve well for a reprinting, I guess. <laughs> Yes, you're, so you're not actually missing out on anything, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> well, she, she also said at the end of one of the volumes that she'd had some kind of a, was it a hand injury or something like yeah, that? Yeah, she had an injury to her dominant hand, um, and so she had to take a break of about a year um, while drawing the series. Jeez, that's got to be tough. I mean, she apologized a few times for her art, and it, you know, it And that's part of the reason why her art style shifted, but... Hard style in the beginning, it's like I look at it now and I'm like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the proportions are kind of weird. Uh, weird in, like, not really a clampish way, but clamp is the only thing that I'm thinking of that also has weird proportions. It's like weird proportions and, like, you remember how in the first Pokemon series, like, they had, like, those gigantic <laughs> eyes? It's like that level of eyes. <laughs> I do worry about any poor fans who haven't seen the series before and they pick up the first volume in the bookstore and they look at the cover art and then they look on the inside art. It's like, what is this? An American <laughs> comic book that doesn't look the same at all. Yeah, the the Yang cover is uh, Takaya Redig for uh, the reprinting. And uh, the the inside has obviously not had any changed art at all. Uh, the new anime looks closer to that, uh, the new art than the old art. But even those eyeballs are like kind of huge. <laughs> Yeah, because we are saying art, this as anime fans. Yes, the the newer art definitely looks like more digitized, even in the coloring and stuff. That looks very obvious in the color pages in the end press one. So, are either of you guys going to keep watching the new anime? I am. Yes. Oh, I, yeah, I definitely will now. So I haven't even seen the original. Like this was literally. You my... can definitely skip the original now. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. Really? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I mean, some folks might argue me about that, but it was funny. I saw someone who was posting screenshots on Twitter uh, the other week where it was showing pictures of the old series against the new series at, you know, like the exact same moments. And I was noticing that the old series, like, was lacking in backgrounds a lot of the times. It was breaking the 180 rule, yada, yada, yada. And I sent them to a friend, and she was like, hang on, my phone just got passed around at this party. We're looking for the link right now to watch the series. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, did I just start a Faruba watch party at a party I'm not even at? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm totally down for this. I am a little sad, though. Apparently, they're going to, like, split the season up, which makes sense, you know, for the animators and everything. But that means that we will not have Chihaya Furu and Fruits Basket airing at the same time. Because can you imagine the amount of emotional anguish that would have caused together? True. (laughs) That would have been great. So how long are they expecting the new series to be? Because, I mean, this was, like, 23 volumes. So what are they looking at for the new anime? I've seen folks guesstimating 50, maybe, even based okay, on yeah. pacing. Okay. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. full Megalock. Because, yeah, just... 23 volumes, like, you need time to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. This isn't a perfect comp, but I think full Megalock Mist is approximately the same length as Freak's Basket, and that was 60-something episodes. 64 okay. Something. Four. okay. It was going to be 63, and then they had to have another <laughs> 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 Yeah. So maybe, uh, yeah, around that time. Um, but for us sports anime fans, we will be destroyed by Fruits Basket and Ace of Diamond at the same time, so... <laughs> uh. 
But you could, but sports fans could have also been destroyed by Chihayafuru at the same time, except they pushed that back to the fall. Well, this was to air in the spring. Is Gaiman could still be going by then? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, any uh, any thoughts on like the ending of Fruits Basket? They worked real damn hard for that happy ending. <laughs> yes, they did. Yes. I think that is a good way to sum that up. Yeah, they really did. And they deserved it. Yes. <laughs> yes, they did. They did. I would have to agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, like little minor things like uh, Hatsuharu just being really persistent with Rin, uh, just like convincing her that she is worthwhile as a person uh, was, was quite something. Oh. They have two kids in the sequel, and another. Yep. yep. Aww. Uh, the boy is, uh, the, the girl, what was it, the girl, like, inherited the moms or something? I forget what it is. She, she's got, like, two pigtails, and she's really ganky, and the guy's just kind of laid back. Yeah. And slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you read my free passage and other reviews on the fan post, I break down, uh, who had kids with who, and who those kids are. Oh, it looks like Momiji's um, sister even um, gets to know him again. She's working for him in another, so... Oh! Because those are some really sweet moments in there, when um, Toru meets Momiji's sister and realizes that Momiji's sister also does not know that she is actually his sister, Mm -hmm. but she's been learning to play the violin because she admires him from a distance, and she's like, I want to play the violin with him, and it's like, oh my god, my heart, I'm going to die. Yes, uh, Fruits Basket and Leather has proven to be a very It's not pleasant. very good, but... <laughs> yes, uh, I, would, I would agree. Ayami like, has has kids, and it took me, like, a good ten minutes to figure out, who the fuck did he marry? He, he, was, <laughs> he, he wasn't gay the whole time. And I remembered, oh, it's his assistant, obviously. Oh, 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 uh-huh, uh-huh. He says yeah. in his store, I'm like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> I remember there was a scene towards the very end of the series where he realizes the curse has been broken, and there's, like, immediately hugs her. Yeah. Yes, I can finally do this. <laughs> so y'all are saying it's not it's not very good. Uh, it's nice to see people's kids, but that's about it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a very pleasant manga, I would say. Um, uh-huh. It's fan service for the fans? Yeah. Got, gotcha. It's worth your time if you're a Fruits Basket fan. Are you a Fruits Basket fan now, April? Yes, I am. Okay. <laughs> it's worth your time. Uh, yeah, Fruits Basket, what a ride. Um, anyone have any closing thoughts before we jump over to Griffin Dragons? What else can you say? I mean, we could talk about this series for like a solid hour, I think, if we wanted to, but... Uh, no, I'm please la- not. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> not I'm, I'm, I'm glad to... Uh, to have read a classic, I'm, I, I can see why it was popular back then. Um, so I'm glad to have read it. it it's, I could definitely see the the classic appeal of it. Yeah, I believe Tokyo Pop uh, marketing it as the best selling shoujo manga for like the longest time. Um, I mean, it was. Yeah, yeah. And next, uh-huh. next for good reason. Uh, it's, it's very. Actually, good. no, it was the best selling manga in America for a while. Oh well, I'm not surprised by that either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, Fruits Basket is very good. I love it very much. Um, it sits among some of my favorite manga of all time, and uh, it will crush my heart and then uh, make me feel better by the end, so. It's a good read. Alright, well, uh, let's take a short break, and then we'll be back to talk about uh, something less depressing, or more depressing <laughs> if you are really into dragons. Uh, Griffey Dragons! Ega 
Welcome back, y'all. And now for our newer series, we are talking about Drifting Dragons by Taku Kuwabara. Currently, the series is only out available digitally from Kodansha. They have announced that they will be putting it out into print. And the next day after they announced that, there was an announcement of an anime, which we may discuss briefly at the end because it does not look like a good trailer. Um, <laughs> Drifting Dragons, um, the short description of it is wailing, but with dragons. So ima- imagine, you know, <laughs> the old 19th century whaling stories, you know, it's dangerous, dirty work, but it comes with great rewards. And so now you just put that in the sky and you've got draking and you have the crew of the Quinn Zaza airship who are drakers. So they're going around, they're chasing down dragons, they're killing them, butchering them, selling off their um, parts, etc. And this is one of the series where I started reading it and I went, is this supposed to be a food manga <laughs> or does it just want to be a food manga? Since we discover quite quickly that one of the main characters, Mika, he's basically only interested in eating dragons. Like that is his entire purpose for being here. He's like, yeah, I want to try that dragon over there. No, Mika, we're not. Oh no, he's at it again. Oh no. <laughs> so this is, that's actually most of the first volume. It's we're killing dragons. We're eating dragons. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> It's only in volumes two and three. There are currently five or six out in Japan, but Kodansha's only put out three so far. It's in volumes two and three that the story um, gets a little more interesting, because I'll admit, after the first volume, I was getting kind of bored, and it was by three that really hooked me, and I read all three because I had review copies of all three. Yeah, Corey, how much did you read, just first off? Uh, I only read one volume, um... But now that you say there is more than just killing dragons, uh, I will be reading those next few volumes. Though I was I was just fine with uh, just killing dragons, just because I'm very into food manga as a uh, general uh, idea. So I mean, fingers crossed that we will actually do an entire panel about this at Otakon. <laughs> yeah, and Griffin Dragons. Uh, I think if it is not classified as a food manga, it would be the closest to food manga that you can get without being food manga. <laughs> it, it has like little fake recipes at the back of each chapter, which I found were a little twee. Yeah. Since anyway, I have opinions on series which have recipes in them for fake foods. I <laughs> thought they were cute, um, and I think they are. I didn't read through them too closely, but I think they're like detailed enough that you could do it with real food uh, reasonably well uh, with enough improvisation. Um, but I dig like, what is his name? Mika, the main character. Uh, or is he the main character? He's not, I would argue, not the main character. I would say that's the Greenhorn Takita, okay. the yeah, girl yeah, who's still sense. learning her ways around things, since a lot of Volume 3 focuses on her and Mika never quite takes a center stage. Like, he's always interested in doing some things. And in the second volume, he takes Takita around the city that they've landed in. It's one that's a hub for Drakers to come and sell their wares. And so he actually does take her around there. But mm-hmm. it felt more like he's taking her and the reader around, not like... Right. Uh, j- just a slightly different perspective. And, you know, what's a main character, what's a supporting character. Right. But yeah, in the second volume, it branches out a little more where they spend most of the time on the ground where they are um, selling off their wares. Takita is learning a bit more about how um, some other subcultures, in a way, um, interact with dragons. There were a couple of shots in there which looked like I looked at them and I was went, ah, Kuwabara, I see you are also a person who appreciates Kaoru Mori's A Bride Story. <laughs> 
the art in the series is actually rather nice. Um, it was something I didn't start really appreciating until the second and third volumes, but I felt like you could see a lot of what their influences were there. But yeah, it's a second volume. Um, it goes a little farther. And then the third volume, Takita is actually separated from the crew for quite a bit of it. And so she has to make her way back to the crew. They think she's dead because she fell off an airship and that usually kills you, you know? Yeah, that seems <laughs> and so it's a really great moment for her as she's meeting even more people and then just growing as herself and not finding her own self-determination. But once she's not on the ship, you know, it's not like she has work to keep her occupied, you know, that kind of purpose. She's having to, she's got the time to like mentally find her own purpose again, which is making it sound rather boring, but it was pretty good. And like I said, the art really grew on me as well. You can see influences in there where I'm like, okay, they've read Nausicaa and they really mm-hmm. like Nausicaa. They've read a bride story and really like bride story. Oh yeah. And I some of between that Nausicaa thing. Yeah. yeah. And some of the later dragons look they reminded me a little bit of some of the aliens in Knights of Sidonia in, in a way that they are very organic shapes, but not natural shapes, which, which sounds a little contradictory. I'm not quite sure how to explain that in English or any language, honestly. <laughs> um, but, but, but they look alive, but not intended. There, there's some really cool designs later on, which is part of the reason why when I saw the anime trailer, I was horrified because it's going to be by polygon pictures who did do knights of sidonia but they've taken out all of the detail everything looks like literally flat untextured like polygons and and the character acting looks not great and all that so i just looked at it and i went oh my god come on polygon can't you just give me a third season of knights of sidonia and just finish that instead (laughs) why (laughs) i really do feel like the art is a major selling point for this manga because when i posted that thread of images on twitter i got a number of people interacting with that going oh hey this looks cool which is definitely not going to happen with these screenshots (laughs) uh yeah i I watched that trailer while you were talking uh and that is very cg uh i was not prepared for that i can stand some cg that is bad cg though (laughs) Right, and, like, there is such great art in this. Uh, not just the food, which is obviously beautifully crafted, but, like, the dragons are exceptionally are exceptionally creative, and um, there's a lot of line work that is lost in the in this CG, probably. Um, like, I'm just flipping through the pages here, and you just, like, have Mika's beard, and he has, like, some lines on... His fingers like a curl that just represent the shadows. Then you see the the shadows underneath like their airship and underneath this dragon and like uh, I want to see all of this in um, I guess regular animation rather than in CG animation. Yeah, and if you look at the covers and the couple of color images, then Kuwabara does some interesting color schemes, like some really nice emotional ones. You know, ones where it's sort of more like this scene would feel like this, not necessarily look like this, you know, like color, like kind of like color grading. And I doubt that the anime is going to look like that since Polygon Pictures has never really done that. They are kind of boring when it comes to their color scheme choices. I mean, a lot of folks are, but, but yes, yeah, I'm really disappointed because I know people are like, Oh, I don't want my anime to be just like the manga, but I'm like, I do want my anime to have the best parts of the manga in there. Mm-hmm. And well, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, it makes me feel like I got cheated out of something. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned like the influence, the influences, and I don't know where specifically Kuwabara is getting the the dragon designs from, but. Um, it reminded me the most of that towards the end of Volume 3, where the dragons just started looking weirder and weirder. Yeah, like, even in this first volume, one of them, like, latches onto the airship, and its, uh, its mouth opens uh, vertically instead of horizontally, and it just looks, like, super, super creepy, super intimidating, but it's just amazingly drawn in a way that makes you not want to eat it, but they are absolutely going to eat this thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if people like stories about, like, a sort of underdog, ragtag crew of people doing things and ending up, you know, some pretty cool moments as a result of succeeding, you'll probably like Drifting Dragons, especially since I think everyone probably likes food anime, food manga by this point. I mean, there's so much of it by now. I have to assume everybody likes (laughs) it or they wouldn't keep making them. Yeah. April, we convinced you to give this a shot. Well, I have the first volume. I just didn't read it in the time. So, yes, I will at least read the first volume. I mean, you were too volume. busy, you know, like, drowning in fruits. Falling <laughs> <laughs> through fruits baskets, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I So I, I read a little bit of it, and I actually thought that it was a, a food manga. I didn't get far enough to be convinced otherwise. So I'm like, Helen and Corey got me again with another food manga, but I, <laughs> I haven't gotten far enough into it to know. <laughs> I think it's technically supposed to be adventure fantasy, but when I did my review of the first three volumes on the OASG, I did tag it with genre, adventure, fantasy, food. Yeah, Yeah, it seems to be a manga about uh, hunting dragons and they happen to be cooking them rather than they are hunting dragons to cook them and eat them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, like, when they sell off the dragon parts, they sell off the meat, and they also sell off, like, they rendered the fat, you know, to get oil and the Mm -hmm. skins and everything. But, you know, there's always time to, like, cook up a dragon steak, you know, make a good sandwich out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they use the whole dragon, at least. Though I did wonder, and they addressed this uh, uh, briefly in uh, the early part of Volume 1, like, how many dragons are there really? Uh, because we, we have this conception of dragons as a mythical thing that there are not that many of, um, but here are these people hunting dragons and um, selling them off for, uh, for themselves and for profit, but they seem to be plentiful enough that they are able to do that and keep that as a career without them becoming endangered. I mean, that's what people used to think about whaling, and now yeah. now we don't do whaling anymore unless <laughs> we're Japan. And Perhaps that's going to be the whole theme of the manga is yeah, whaling is bad, you should stop doing this. But also, they're very delicious. I sort of doubt it, but I'm hoping now that Kodansha has announced a print release that they get along and start translating volumes four and five. I really don't know why there's been such a long gap since um first three volumes came out, uh, one in late 2017 and then two in early 2018. And that's been it. So yeah. I'm really hoping we get more of it now. Um, I definitely want to get these volumes in print since I'm sure the art will look even nicer on a printed page. And also because I don't trust comics, all of you should not just suddenly take away my manga someday. <laughs> I'm just slightly paranoid about that guys. <laughs> we all remember, um, J manga, manga and others. Mm. <laughs> Rest in pieces. <laughs> <laughs> but Corey, do you have any other final thoughts or shall we wrap this up for the night? Uh, nope, I don't think so. I just greatly enjoyed this manga. I will be reading more. Uh, it is gorgeously drawn. I can't remember what we do for the wrap up. You're going to have to tell people where they can find us. <laughs> uh, uh, well, where can we find you? <laughs> <laughs> Where can we find you two on the internet? 
You can find me on Twitter at uh, Mondio and I'm still alive. I don't think I have tweeted in a very long time, but I'm still alive, or I wouldn't be on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it would be kind of hard for a ghost to like connect to Skype. <laughs> we have a we have a very unique podcast. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at WanderDreamer. Uh, right now, half of it is just me bemoaning my job hunting situation. So be prepared for some depression. If you want to hold off like another month or two before checking out my Twitter feed, that is perfectly fine. Uh, Hopefully it'll be less depression. And um, I would say that I write reviews for the OASG, except I have not done any of those in a long time either. Because, again, see the job hunting. It, <laughs> it just takes all your time uh, and school and work and internships and a social life. Uh, well, no, no, there's no social life. There is Pokemon Go, though. I need the <laughs> exercise. Uh, well, uh, Helen, we wish you tidings on your job plan. Yes, we do. Uh, you can find me mm-hmm. on Twitter at ImpassionedK. Uh, you can find this podcast on Twitter at Monging Your Ears. Uh, and we have a brand new website, brand new host uh, at KaikuPodcast.com. Uh, as I am saying this, and hopefully as not you are listening to this, we uh, did not have the iTunes crap fixed yet, uh, but we do have a new website, so I'll be posting episodes soon. Um, I am just sitting and waiting for me to have the time to do so. Uh, or he let himself get to the point where he needed to edit, like, nine podcasts. So. Yep. <laughs> oh, Corey. <laughs> there is at least... Including the end-of-the-year extravaganza, which is always, like, three hours. Each. Yeah. You're the one who invites all the people on the podcast to talk a lot. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, also, Pat's was, like, half an hour late this time. <laughs> uh, well, rate, review us on iTunes. Um... Hopefully we will be there in full swing by the time you are listening to this. But uh, thank you, Helen and April, for giving this podcast for however long we've been doing it. It's been a while. It's always fun chatting with you guys. It is. It is.